I want to speak today uh, on the title, Your Words Have Power. Your words have power. There is an extraordinary power in the words that you speak. Your voice is utterly unique, a gift from God, your vocal DNA. There never has and there never will be again a person who speaks quite like you do. And your words have huge potential. How we use our voice, our words, our tongue says a great deal about us. It's one of the main ways that we influence the world around us. We influence our relationships, the people around us, our colleagues, our families. And our words can encourage or discourage, build up or turn down, tear down. They can help people or they can hurt them. Your words are powerful. Your speech is precious. And we don't just want to throw our speech around. We want, in a world in which words are many and everyone has so much to say, it's almost like the ability to hold our tongues is a superpower and the ability to choose our words carefully is a spiritual discipline. But how we speak also tells us a huge amount about what is actually going on on the inside of us. The best and worst of you shows up on the tongue. So how can we use our words wisely? How can we harness this extraordinary creative potential that we see in the tongue while hindering some of its destructive power? That's what we see in this passage. And the first thing we see is to recognize the power of your words. James gives three examples of the power and the influence of the tongue. He talks about putting bits into horses to make them obey you. Uh, A ship which, although it's large and driven by strong winds, is steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And then consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue, in some senses, is very small. About 0.1% of your body weight. Yet it has huge influence over your whole lives and the lives of those around you. And there's creative power there. God spoke a word and the universe was formed. God spoke a word and there was light. There's creative power in our very speech. And if we don't realize that, we'll be careless in the words we use. We'll think no one is listening. It makes no difference what we say. We'll be reckless with our words. And as we know, reckless words pierce like swords. But in spite of the fact that the tongue is small, it has huge influence over your whole body. It sets the tone for your life. When you speak, you're always hearing what you say. And so it kind of sets the tone in which you live. James writes, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is able to keep the whole body in check. Seems our words have a huge impact on our body, our actions, our lives. And actually, Our tongue, our words can set our whole lives on fire. And sometimes you see that. Our words have the potential to inflame situations and interactions, to wound, to discourage, to undermine, to criticize and condemn. They're so powerful because words almost create the narrative frameworks in which we live. How we see ourselves, how we see the world, how we see others. They have unique ability words to get under the skin. I mean, you might have said, as I did when I was a kid, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But it's nonsense. It's just not true. 
They really hurt people. I've prayed for people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s who are still struggling with something that was said to them or about them decades before when they were a child or a teenager. I've prayed for people years later who are struggling to move past an unkind thing an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend said. Said if you tell a child they're stupid, they might believe you. Because our self-image, our understanding of who we are is often shaped by others. And it, sometimes even as adults, we're unpicking things that were said many years before. Words have power to encourage, but they also have power to harm. So one of the questions in life, if reckless words pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing, is how are we going to use our tongues? And James says, you know, good luck taming your tongue. No human being can. So what is it about the tongue? Well, I've got a little tongue here. Um, uh, so let's just have a look at this. And um, here we are. Look at that. That's a tongue. And uh, that's an ox tongue. And uh, let's be honest, it's pretty ugly. That tongue is pretty ugly. But I tell you this about this ox tongue. It's never lied. It's never sworn. It's never cut someone down. It's never spoken a cruel word. It's never spoken one way to someone's face and another way behind their back. It's never boasted. It's never gossiped. It's never been vicious with its words. Maybe it's not quite so ugly. But I tell you this too. It's never encouraged someone. It's never seen gold in someone that they couldn't see and tried to call it out. It's never spoken kindly to someone who's having a difficult day. It's never spoken gentle words to someone who is struggling. It's never spoken peace-filled words to someone who was going through a storm in their life. It's never cheered someone on when they were going through one of the most difficult seasons that they've faced. Your tongue, though, can do both. There's huge power in your tongue. Your words have power. Anyone like this? Just um, <laughs> no, I, um, Your words have power. How are you going to use them? If you recognize your words have power, if you realize that people are listening when you speak, you realize the significance of what you're saying. I was at a TV studio uh, a little while ago, and I was doing some filming. It was a great day, great company, great crew, and I'd been filming for about two and a half hours. I was quite tired, and then just as I thought we were going to break for lunch, they said, actually, there's some more stuff we'd like you to film. They asked me to do some more stuff, so I did that, and then they said, actually, there's a few extra bits we'd like you to do, and by this stage, I was really tired, and um, actually, one of the things they asked me to do, I didn't think was a good idea, but you know, there's lots of people there. I felt a bit of pressure, and I thought, well, maybe I should do it, but then I tried to do it, and then I stopped, and I said, do you know what, actually, I'm not comfortable about doing this. I just felt a bit of a check in my spirit, and I said, actually, I'm not going to do that. And, um, and then they asked me to do something else, and I thought about that, and I said, actually, I'm not going to do that either. 
And they were nice about it, but I felt a bit awkward, and I kind of, you know, went back. And there was a little room where um, Aidan, who's leading the service today, was waiting for me in that room. He was just working on his laptop. So I went in there and sat down, and I said, ah, Aidan, I I just had to say no to them. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, they asked me to do this thing. I didn't think it was right to do. And, um, you know, sometimes when you work with outside organizations, they try and push you a little bit into their agenda. And you've got to know your own integrity and when to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. trying to coach him as I go, you know. And, um, and, and, you know, it's okay to say no in situations like that. If you fill a check, say no. And they just have to make another plan. At that stage, there was a knock on the door. A guy came in. He said, so sorry, sir, you're still mic'd up. And I was like... And it had been booming out over the studio. And he came in, kind of undid my mic, took it off, and I was like, thanks so much. And um, he walked out, and I was just like, oh no. I was like, Aidan, what did I say? And he was saying, well, I think you said this, and he said this, and he said this, and he said this. And I was like, that's anything unkind? He said, I don't think it was unkind. It was honest, but I don't think it was unkind. And um, we kind of went through this whole thing. I was like, I can't believe it. Came out after lunch. Thanks so much for filming. Ian, nice to see you. Thanks for what you've done. People were listening. If we believe people were really listening to our words, might take them on board, then we'd be really careful about the words we use. We might use more loving words, more truthful words, more kind words, more encouraging words. And that's difficult, but think of the difference you could make in your communities, your workplaces, your families, as a people, as we encourage, as we inspire, as we build up, as we're completely truthful, but utterly loving. Think how that would set you apart in your workplace this week. Recognize the power of your words. And then the second thing we see in this passage is realize that your words reveal your heart. James writes, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. With the same tongue, We flick between things which are utterly opposed. We praise and we curse. You know, we sing songs. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. They said they were advertising for new vocalists. So I just thought I'd, you know, slip in. (laughs) Blessed be. You know, we're like this. And then on Monday, we're like, did you hear what she did? Did you hear what he said? It's the same tongue. And what's crazy is... We praise our Lord and Father, and then we speak against those who are made in his image. People he's made in his image, who he loves, who Jesus died for. But we're happy to worship him, and then we think it doesn't matter if we're cruel to them. It's one of the fascinating things about the Bible is that again and again and again in the Bible we see that your interpersonal relationships are inextricably linked to your relationship with God. If we can think we can worship God and be cruel to other people, we are kidding ourselves. If we think we can worship God and it doesn't matter how we speak about or to other people, we are kidding ourselves again and again and again. But when we've got a highly individualized culture, we kind of separate the two. This is me. This is other people. This is Sundays, this is Monday to Friday. It's a cutthroat world. 
This is how I want to praise God. This is how I want to speak about them. But they're inextricably linked because it's the same voice. It's the same tongue. It's the same person. I don't know. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the mouth, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes we think, I wish I, I knew myself better. I wish I could see clearly what was in my own heart. If you want to see what's in your own heart, listen carefully to what you say. What appears on your tongue tells you what's hidden in your heart. And sometimes that's a bit of a shock. I don't know if you've ever been to the doctor and um, sometimes they say, say, ah, and you, you put out your tongue and they look at your tongue. And sometimes with certain conditions, doctors are seeking to diagnose through the way your tongue looks what might be wrong with your whole body. Because what's going on inside us shows up on our tongues. The best and worst of you shows up on your tongue. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of uh, being in an argument or a discussion uh, and something just slips out. And it maybe feels good for like half a second and you're like, where did that come from? Why did I say that? I don't mean that. I don't think that. And you think, where did it come from? And it kind of shocks you. But it's a clue that there's sometimes something going on in our hearts that rolls off our tongues. What's formed on the tongue is found on the heart. And sometimes it, it kind of reveals to us in an unpleasant way some of what we actually believe, um, what our fears are, what our insecurities are, where we might feel threatened by other people, where we might be a bit weary and fed up and irritated, where we might be desperate to fit in. And sometimes it's really hard. It's really hard when you're in different contexts and there's a kind of culture, maybe not of encouragement, but discouragement. Maybe not of speaking well, but of criticizing. Maybe not of being honest to people's faces, but gossiping behind their backs. And the question for us is, well, what, what are we going to do? Are we just going to fit into that culture, be taken by the tide? Or are we going to try and be different. I'll never forget as a young barrister being invited to lunch by a senior barrister and it's this lovely place, nice food. I felt really honored. I was so junior and he was very, very senior and uh, it's just nice to be kind of taken out and we went through the you know, start and then we got to the main course and then he kind of paused and he kind of looked at me and he said, so Stephen, tell me what the gossip is about your junior colleagues. And um, I was like, ooh, uh, <laughs> a bit like a deer in the headlights. Two roads opened up before me. It was a nice lunch. Didn't want to make it awkward. And, uh, but I didn't really feel comfortable about gossiping about my colleagues to this senior guy. So I was like, what do I do? And, um, and I was kind of stuck for a little bit. And he, he kind of said, come on, what's the gossip? And I said, well, um, uh, I... I, um, uh, I, I um, I try not to gossip, actually. He's like, what? <laughs> Why not? And, and I was like, oh, uh, you know, two roads opened up in front of me. I was like, um, oh, well, uh, I, um, well, it, uh, well, it's because I'm a Christian, actually. So I try not to gossip. Silence. <laughs> For the rest of the main course, all you could hear was cutlery on crockery. Just this kind of awkward... <laughs> And I was sitting there thinking, this is it. My career's in flames. I'm going to be the outcast in my office. Everyone's going to think I'm weird. And, um, 
And what's quite funny is he, it was a, actually an incredibly awkward lunch after that point. I still can't believe I said it. Maybe I wouldn't say it in quite the same way again. And then, um, but then because maybe he didn't feel quite the same way about gossip, he went and told everyone. And, uh, <laughs> and so, and so um, not long after that, people started knocking on my office door and kind of coming in and talking to me about things, like sometimes quite personal things, quite private things, struggles they're having with their partners or with their purpose. And I realized, oh, they're coming to me because they know, they know now that I'm not going to tell other people. I'm not going to spread the gossip. And over the years that followed, actually, that became, I think, one of the most significant things I did in that context. People are listening to how you speak. And not just people, devices. Uh, Last year, I got a text um, from a friend. So I was just there on an evening, and I got a text from a friend. And I was looking at this text, I thought, this text makes no sense at all. And I was kind of looking at it, trying to work out what was going on. And, um, And then I looked, and I was just about to text my friend back saying, are you okay, why are you sending me this random text? And then I realized he had enabled Siri voice activation on his iPhone, okay? Brave soul. But not only that, he had enabled voice-activated texting. Yeah, or intake of breath. (laughs) He had been at a party, and he'd bumped into a couple of other people who knew me as well. And so they'd started talking about me. Extraordinary. And he'd said my name, and Siri had heard my name, you know, perked up and opened a text message and started dictating everything he said about me and then pinged a text message to me. So once I worked that out, I was like, oh, oh, like this. I mean, the poor guy. He's just there having a conversation about me and his own phone snitched on him. The tech turned against him. But all he had done was accurately record the words he'd spoken about me and sent them to me, the person he was speaking about. And actually, what he said wasn't unkind. It was quite funny, actually. I haven't told him, um, I haven't told him yet, but it was quite, <laughs> it was quite funny. It, was, um, it made me smile, and, you know, but it's a warning. I mean, imagine, just imagine for a second that every time you spoke about someone when they weren't present, they got a text telling them exactly what you said. Would that change the way you spoke about people? Would that change the way you use your words? It might change some of our conversations. But the Holy Spirit is always listening. God always hears. And as I've been thinking this week, I've really had to repent, really ask forgiveness for how careless I can be at times with my words, where I've lost sight of the power of my words. And I've forgotten some of this that James is so strong about. So what do we do? How do we tame our tongue? We don't just want to not say anything because we're so scared of saying the wrong thing. Because the right word spoken by the right person at the right time, in the right tone, in the right context can change someone's life. It's too powerful an opportunity just to be locked away. But we know how often we get it wrong. Well, look at Jesus. He spoke with love 
to those who thought they were unlovable. He would celebrate with people with words of joy. He knew the words to bring peace into the midst of the greatest storms. He had words of kindness for the poor and the vulnerable. He spoke gentle words to the brokenhearted. He had tremendous self-control in the words he used. Even at his most difficult moment, when he was on trial for his life, very precise and careful in the words he used. And when he was dying on the cross, he was seeking to bring unity and seeking to bring people together. How can we grow like Jesus so that our words are loving, so that they are filled with joy, so they bring peace into our context, so that they help people who you know, need kind words, so that we might speak with patience, so we might have gentle words that bring compassion and we can speak in self-control even in the most difficult situations we face only if we ask the Holy Spirit to grow the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us so that what changes in our hearts might then emerge on our tongues. So I've got a challenge for you. Why don't we try this for one day as a church? Tomorrow, Monday, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just encourage you. Keep a track of the words you use. Each person you come across, how can I encourage this person? How can I speak kindly to them? How can I speak gently to them? And if you're tempted to speak an unkind word, to curse, to cut down, just check it. Just say, God, what's going on there? Why am I doing that? Would you grow the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life? And see what happens. Get to the end of the day. Keep a check. You don't have to record everything on your phone. But, but see where you get to. And then pray tomorrow night. Lord, I want this year to be different. I want to be a person of peace where you've placed me. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to speak words that bring life in the context, that encourage, that build people up. And then think of the difference that could make in our context, in our schools, in our colleges, in our hospitals, in our families, in our companies. That we might be a people who people look at and say, I don't know what it is, but there is something different about you. Your words are seasoned with grace. You always have the right word for the moment. There's a wisdom to the way you speak. There's a wisdom to the way you use words. What is it that marks you out? That people in these coming weeks and months might look at each of us and even say, it's like, Where's that coming from? How do you do it? And we might have an opportunity to introduce them to the one who is gracious of speech, utterly loving, and completely truthful. In Jesus' name, amen.